you know by now that we will be opening up our church services on June 21st, and we are really looking forward to that. But we also recognize that many of you, in fact, really uh, the majority of you will not be in attendance on that morning. Uh, We have about 45% of those that have responded to the survey saying that they will come and 55 saying that they're not yet ready to join us for public worship. And so for those of you that won't be joining us here, I do want to just encourage you to know that we will be continuing to have church online for you. Uh, as long as uh, we are uh, not together. And we look forward to that time when we can all gather again together in one place. For those of you that are planning to join us on the 21st, next Thursday or Friday, we will be sending you a video that will kind of walk you through what it's going to look like to worship here with social distancing and all the steps that we've had to take. Uh, We're going to walk you through how to sign up for a particular service to attend. And the reason for that is that with social distancing, we have very, very limited seating at both of our sites. And so we're going to try to maximize as uh, the much room, space, seats as we can get uh, out of our site. So uh, we'll walk you through all of that, however, in a couple of days from now. And now would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, as we turn our attention to your word, having worshiped you in song, I pray that we would also worship you in the word, uh, that we would come before you wanting, longing, and desiring to hear your word for us. Lord, I pray you would personalize it. I pray that for each and every one of us, we will hear God's voice speak to us through God's word that will be for us a word. And so, Lord, we ask, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to understand, and give us a will to obey. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Well, if you have been joining us online, you know that we have recently begun a new series called Major, Majoring in the Minors. We are going to be looking at the minor prophets. The Hebrew Bible calls them the Twelve. And Pastor Brian started us off last week with Hosea. Now, as I was worshiping in my family room with uh, my wife, we were watching the sermon, and I, I felt sorry for Pastor Brian. And in fact, Pastor Brian is sitting right here. And I just want to say, for the few moments there, I, I felt sorry for him. I, I, I felt bad that I'd given him Hosea uh, to start off with and to preach, because as, as he shared with us, Hosea has some... Um, very difficult subject matters, very adult, very difficult uh, metaphors and analogies and things that uh, God deals with in that book. I, I felt bad for him until he noted that, let me make sure I get this right, uh, he said that I had, when I had started my preaching ministry in 1984, he was, and I think I quote, negative three years of age. It was then I stopped feeling sorry for him. And I was glad that I gave him the book of Hosea to preach on. In fact, I'm going to give him the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, Song of Solomon, and Revelation. And I'm looking forward to seeing how negative three deals with those. (laughs) But all joking aside... He did a a marvelous job of bringing to us God's word out of Hosea, who was speaking 
to the Israelites at a particular crossroad of their lives. They were being threatened with two things. One, they were being threatened with the Assyrians in the north conquering their land, and they were being threatened by their own unfaithfulness to God. As we turn now to the second of the minor prophets, Joel, he also speaks in a crisis that the nation is experiencing, an invading army, but one very, very different than what Hosea spoke to. Uh, This one is uh, rather unique, and we'll look at that in a moment. But let's begin first with thinking about the dates of Joel. Now, here's where we run into our first problem, and that is the scholars all disagree on when Joel uh, prophesied. What year was it? Uh, Some scholars say 800, before the Assyrians conquered the north. Some say 600, right before the Babylonians conquered Judah. Some say in the midst of the exiles returning back from captivity. Some say uh, just before the 400 years of silence between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, It's all over the map. So I just want you to know that I have carefully looked at the evidence. I have studied and read Joel, and I've looked at the commentaries and looked at the scholars and looked at what they were saying about the dates, and I want to give you the definitive dates of Joel's prophecy. So write this down. This is good stuff, all right? The definitive dates for Joel's prophecy is somewhere between 800 and 400. There, ends it. Got it, all right? Which means then that when it comes to his contemporaries, it could be any of the prophets. When it comes then to who did he speak to, was it Judah in the south or was it Israel in the north or was it to both of them? We can't really say. Now, personally, my opinion is that uh, this just has a feel of speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, But there's no way really to, to be sure about that. Two things we do know for sure. One was that the major historical event was an agricultural crisis and that the theme of Joel is how God uses crises to call us to him. So let's look at the opening words of Joel's prophecy. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. So now we know what this agricultural crisis is. It's swarms of locusts. And in fact, in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, Joel describes him as an invading nation. Chapter 2, he describes him as an invading army. Look at what he says in verse 6. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has teeth of a lion, fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor never will be in ages to come. 
Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like a garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. What an apocalyptic view of this locust swarm. And then he says these words in verse 6, chapter 2. He says, at the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. For an agrarian culture and economy, this was devastating news. The swarms of locusts were an uncontrolled disaster for the people. Now, the interesting thing is that we often tend to think of these swarms of locusts as something of the past, something uh, belonging to the Bible, the plagues of Egypt. But just three or four weeks ago, the United Nations came out with a warning. It said, uh, it warned that the locust swarms are causing an unprecedented threat to food security and livelihoods across East Africa. This was three to four weeks ago. Uh, and more recently, Global News stated that catastrophic damage is being done to farms and fields throughout India, Pakistan, and East Africa. In fact, when you look at the pictures of the swarms of locusts, uh, they, uh, they look like smoke at a distance, but that's how thick the swarm is. You realize why at the sight of them, nations would be in anguish. When you realize the devastation they do to fields and forests, you realize why every face might turn pale at their coming. These are pictures that are right out of the book of Joel. And Joel describes this crisis with a phrase. He calls it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. He does uh, speak of this day of the Lord. In fact, he uses that phrase five times in his book. Now, here's our challenge, though. Uh, there are different meanings when he uses that phrase, the day of the Lord. There is the day of the Lord, the final day when Jesus returns, um, and there is that great judgment. That is the day of the Lord. But Joel uses it also to reference these crises uh, that the people are experiencing. A day of the Lord, you might say, is a crisis that God uses to call us back to him. A day of the Lord is a crisis that God uses to call us back to him. And that is what Joel sees in this crisis, that God is calling us back to him. And God will use swarms of locusts. God will use pandemics. God will use injustice to call us back to him, to show us how fragile and false is our sense of control over this world, to show us how thin a veneer is our cultured civility, show us our great need for that peace and justice and wholeness, as Pastor Nancy prayed, the shalom of God that we need and long for. 
And there's no doubt that, that the catastrophe that Joel speaks of for Israel or for Judah and the catastrophes that we're experiencing today uh, lead us to pray. Um, I can't remember a time in my um, less than negative three years old of age um, that I can remember the world praying as much and as long for one thing that, that the pandemic would end. More recently, our nation has been praying for justice, for the end of racism, for peace to prevail. Uh, these crises draw us to prayer, but the question that Joel asks is, does it draw us to God? Yes, it draws us to prayer. We pray for the end of, of COVID-19. I, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't pray for that. And most recently, been praying for that peace and that justice and, and for um, brothers and sisters in black churches that are suffering, for the persecuted church. But Joel's question and Joel's encouragement, he asked the question, but does it lead you to God? Does this call you to him? He says that the day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Interesting two words there. It's great and it's dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. It was a, uh, a practice of the Jewish people that when they were mourning, when they were grieving over the loss of a loved one, they would, they would rip their garments. They would rend them as a way of saying, my heart is rended. But, but God says, don't rend your garments, rend your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. As Joel looks at this day of the Lord, he calls the people to return to God. He calls the people to return to God. No doubt we are in a day of the Lord. And is that calling us back to God. I know that we've, as I've said, we've all been praying for an end of COVID. We've all been praying for peace and for justice to reign. But how often and how fervently have we been praying that God would call this nation back to him? That God would call the people of the world to him? How many times have we prayed fervently and passionately for the spiritual life of those in the United States and those in the world, as much as for their physical and their social well-being. God calls us in this day of the Lord to him. Return to the Lord, your God, he says, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And then Joel holds out from this two promises, two harvests, uh, a new harvest, for the people of Israel, he says. And this one, literally, a new harvest. He goes on to prophesy that the Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain and new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. I will drive the northern army far from you. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. 
The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Joel promises that God will bring this new harvest, an agricultural harvest. He'll restore what the people have lost. But then he goes on to promise a very different kind of harvest. Remember that the day of the Lord is is a calling to God. It's a crisis that God uses to call us to him. So God is looking for this spiritual harvest as well. And Joel prophesies that. In chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now you may be thinking, where where have I heard that before? I know I've heard it somewhere else in the Bible. And you're right, you have. You've heard it in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Luke records this, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his or her own language. We hear them, they said, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel was privileged to speak of the birth of the church. It took place at this moment. He saw it. He knew it was coming. He knew that that the day of the Lord, the crisis that, that God was using to stir the people would create in time a new kind of harvest, a harvest of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit would no longer just dwell on a priest for a moment would no longer dwell on a king for a decision, would no longer dwell just upon a a prophet for a moment of speaking. It would dwell in the hearts of God's people forever that we would be the dwelling place of the living God. That harvest has come. That day has come. And just as a little side note, God did it in such a cool way. 
Look back at chapter 2, verse 1, and notice when this occurs. Luke says that when the day of Pentecost came. Do you know what the day of Pentecost is in the Old Testament? It's called the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of the First Fruits of the Wheat Harvest. We have this full circle back to Joel. The day of the Lord and the crisis of the locusts and what that meant, the devastation that brought. The promise of God calling his people to him. The promise of this new different kind of harvest. And on the day that God's people celebrated a harvest, God brings a new one to them. There's no doubt in my mind that this is the day of the Lord that we are in these crises as God's way of calling us to him. And I know that we are fervently praying for these days to be over. But I want to encourage you to pray that God would use these days to bring a new kind of harvest, a hunger for God, a desire for Jesus Christ and his righteousness a hunger in the church, not just for worship, not just for gathering, but for, for God's presence. To be so hungry that we feel starved, that we long for God to pour out his spirit in all of his fullness. Not a cry of just safety, not a cry of comfort, but a cry for God. Don't let this day of the Lord go to waste. Amen? All by myself, but not for long. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray with Joel that people would see that you are good and compassionate and loving. You are holy and just. And so, Lord, as you call out to the nations, I pray your church would be that voice, not just in our words, but Lord, in so many more important ways in the way we act and the way we speak and how we show Jesus. Lord, I pray that this would not have gone to waste when it's over. But we would look back on this and say, that truly was a day of the Lord. And God brought a new kind of harvest out of it. But Lord God, Lord Jesus, begin with us. May your Holy Spirit so fill us that those around us marvel at our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our faithfulness, our gentleness, our kindness, our love. We pray this in Jesus' name, and wherever God's people are, they said, amen.